0: Episode 71 of The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett.
1: I'm Troy Gwynn.
0: And tonight we are back to our uh, old haunt here. What's mm-hmm. fast becoming one of my favorite things to do, which is sit down and talk about the Universal Horror Films of the 1940s. Tonight we dive into our second Vincent Price feature mm-hmm. of uh, of this run so far. Uh,
1: I can't, is it our last? Vincent I was going to say, I don't know that he. I think it may be, yeah, yeah. Because we talked before about what the roles he might have played had he stayed with Universal, but That's this right. might be it for our Vincent Vincent uh, viewings. I think you're right. That's true. Well, at any rate, tonight we are
0: seeing, or uh, we're, we're discussing, mm-hmm. The House of Seven Gables from 1940, uh, starring uh, Vincent Price
1: and Margaret Lindsay
0: uh, and George Sanders. And I gotta say, uh, it's 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 a hard it's a hard thing to say this, but. Uh, Dick Ferran, who I did not realize was going to be in this
2: mm-hmm, movie,
1: mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I, I, what little I knew about the movie uh, was uh, a bit of a surprise when I, about, I went back to it and realized, oh my lord, Dick Ferran. Yes,
1: absolutely. Because and I know we, we will see him again.
0: We yeah. will see Dick Ferran again, although not as much. Well, we'll see him pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see
0: him in. We will see him in the Mummy's Hand, mm-hmm. which is the next film in this series.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Prepare yourself I, I, to suffer. I, I hadn't even looked ahead prepare, to see what our next one was. Prepare
0: yourself to suffer.
1: No, no, no. I, I, I will be kind. I will be kind.
0: You will. <laughs> you will not be kind, you mummy-hating bastard. Anyway, <laughs> House of Seven Gables, 1940. Uh, we're up to uh, the release date on this one is uh, April the 12th, 1940. So glad to finally uh, be inching further along in the... Uh,
1: <laughs> the first year of our of the first
0: year of our 1940s trek. Uh this is a, a very interesting choice because this is not one that I think normally gets associated with the Universal Horrors series. Mm. Although it really kind of technically is a big part of it. And when you, kind, when you look at you know starring Vincent Price and it being yeah. a lot of the same people who, who worked on... I mean, it's almost the exact same cast as mm. uh, the uh, Invisible Man Returns. Same director, a lot of the same actors.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well. And you, you kind of have to wonder why it, it gets kind of singled out as i guess it's because it's more of a literary adaptation than a lot of the other
1: yeah there's, there's that and i think uh, we'll talk about the fact that uh, this particular story you can cherry pick the supernatural elements as you yeah. wish you can make it as supernatural or as not as you as you want you know the elements are there depending on what direction you want to go with it
0: this is true this is true and i think that in this they uh, i think they do a very good job it's like knowing the original story and knowing that they juggle things around. They they really change. If you've ever read the the the, the Nathaniel Hawthorne source novel, uh, you will realize that all the names are saying are the same, and a lot of the circumstances are are similar or exact. But man, they have kind of jumbled things around to make it. What one might argue more cinematic, but I would argue just honestly a bit more streamlined and coherent at times. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: They change some of the, uh, the the family relations. They change. Uh, they definitely change the circumstances, and they mm. they add an, a neat element of of uh, suspense and mystery to it in a mm. way that uh, cinema can do that they you know could easily do on the page, but Hawthorne mm. neglected to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. Uh, I, th- I think the. One might have argued at a certain point that he might have indulged a little bit in the Deus Ex Machina just a tad, because <laughs> I don't think in the novel he reveals a certain mm. person's actual um, mm. actual uh, name until much later in the story. Whereas well, this movie a he doesn't reveal it. too
1: much later in the story. Yeah, I have yeah. to be I, full confession right now. I've not, I had never read the novel before. I was trying to cram it in <laughs> before this show. I really had wanted to have the whole novel read so we could talk about this yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, Based on, I was enjoying the novel, but based on my just limited reading time, I was only able to get right to about the halfway point about uh, by, by tonight. But uh, it's funny, I'm literally about right at about the halfway point, and boy, the story has hardly even gotten really, I mean, as far as revealing yeah. any actual truths about the characters, any backstory. I mean, he's used the whole first half of the novel to just introduce characters. And you're still, I mean, people reading at that time, I'm sure at that, by that point, you know, are still just totally in the dark as far as what, who are these people, as far as what's happened to them, why are they in this state? So we'll talk about more of that as we go on, but.
0: Well, I mean, you're talking about the difference between uh, a film made in 1940 and a novel written in, what, like 18?
1: Yeah. When that was your main source of entertainment for the most part, other than maybe theater, you know, so, and, and so you could afford to just kind of. You know, if someone's reading a book, they're just going to go along, you know, you can take them along in any which way you want and any, you know, however you want to dole out your story. And Hawthorne definitely plays it very close to the to the best as far as the real saves. every all the Everything obviously is the real surprises and reveals for obviously the second half of the of the novel.
0: Yeah, and I think you know that that hundred years difference between mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 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 novel being written and the film mm-hmm. being made. I mean, mm-hmm. also remember that this was not the first time this had been adapted. There was at least one other version of this done in I think nineteen ten. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have not I have not viewed that version of *The House of the yeah. <laughs> uh, But the uh, the idea of this being kind of a uh, it takes the various elements within the story and turns it into something that um works much better as a streamlined story so too, yeah. than, than a straight adaptation of the of the novel would because yeah I mean exactly my memory my memory of the story as written <laughs> yeah. is is just what you're saying which is you know we would have spent the first 5 hours of the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah being introduced <laughs> being introduced to a lot of detail that that you yes. know would eventually pay off, but not nearly <laughs> enough to get you to slog through the next four hours when things actually start to crank up into gear. Exactly. So this movie, uh, being a universal horror film and crank, you know, and, and wanting to like mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. have some forward momentum,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, comes in at under you know ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. We're not messing around here. We've got a story to tell, and we're going to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I think that uh, they do they do a smart thing by by kind of changing some of the relationships, uh, especially yeah. the uh, the the romantic entanglement that kind of wraps the story up uh, and is kind of the through line with the uh, Vincent Price character. Um, one of the things that kind of gets him through his prison stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll uh, we'll talk we'll talk in more more depth about this as we go through the uh, the rather detailed plot line once again we'll we'll lean heavily on the plot synopsis provided in uh the book universal horrors because that's a good one i found several different ones and i've i've kind of cherry picked a few curt details from certain ones because i think there's some some good things to be talking about and the movie is packed with detail i mean mm-hmm. in a movie this rich and thick with just I mean really juicy dialogue. I'm gonna sprinkle it throughout the podcast because I think there's a lot of really good stuff in here and of course the movie's very plot heavy and uh, it's 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 uh, it's a it's a gothic it's kind of a, a gothic romance in the kind of and I guess you would call the classical sense of that term and yeah okay to a degree let's but let's get this out of the way mm-hmm. whether or not you're going to term this a horror film or not is going to be dependent completely upon how you feel about just the idea of a gothic mm-hmm. story yeah regardless of supernatural elements and whether you consider that to be something that falls into the horror category mm-hmm. by virtue of it just being that kind of tale mm-hmm. uh I kind I kind of I can I can sit on the fence and look at both sides of this one mm-hmm but i feel this one definitely falls into the the category because this is uh it's a universal film uh the production team definitely was bent in the direction of of crafting these movies after uh, after universal cranked up cranked back up doing horror films yeah. in 1938 yeah. and uh realized that they'd been missing out mm-hmm. in making horror films for three or four years there
1: but what's funny is they would not have i think at this time uh even though they're making a horror movie, they've got Vincent Price, but they're not necessarily thinking of him as this is our horror star to sell this. No, because he's the good guy in this. He's he's a sympathetic character. He had not yet made his name as the, oh, the, no, no, the no, horror yeah. heavy, and so so so. Even though they're, yes, you're right. That's what fueled the making of this, but not Vincent Price's the Vincent Price aspect. Of no,
0: no, it. no. Vincent Price was a decade away, a full decade mm-hmm. away from starring as a bad guy in a in a, mm-hmm. in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. In, uh, in uh house of wax that's really the first right. role he had where you could say he was he was a really kind of vicious mm. villainous character uh and even in that most of the film he's you know he's in, hiding in plain sight to a large degree mm. or rolling around in a wheelchair in plain <laughs> sight i guess i should say yeah. so in a way i guess you could say kind of bad timing on universal's part to have vincent <laughs> price this early in his career he was 28 when yeah, he made this right yeah so you, can, you 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 can still see the baby fat around his
2: cheeks. He still
0: hasn't he still hasn't filled out completely he's still got a few more inches to grow. He was only like six two at this point, I think.
1: <laughs> Super well, tall bastard. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, well, and he was, we can go ahead and say here, he was not their first choice. You know, they had no. actually cast somebody else as Clifford Pynchon.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. They had cast uh, Robert Cummings, but apparently he became ill just a day or so into the production. And so they very quickly moved to replace him with Vincent Price. And uh, the, the, the guess, the generalized guess, is that the reason Price got the role was because the director, Joe May, uh, was familiar with him from having worked uh, worked with him on uh, The Invisible Man Returns, mm. uh, and I believe at the time he was under contract with Universal, so yeah. it would have been easy enough to slot him into place. And of course, he's certainly the right physical type, and definitely can pull that kind of role off. Yeah. And uh, he makes the best of it here. I mean, Vincent Price is I think fantastic. He's very
3: good in, in this. Yeah,
0: he's not the best performance in the movie, but he's, right. he's There's a, there's a lot of it. <laughs> He's got two co-stars who do Man. extremely good work in yes, this film. absolutely. Both Sanders and um,
1: Margaret Lindsay.
0: They're they're amazing. Gosh, yes, but Margaret, Margaret Lindsay, Lindsay.
1: She's my standout performance of the whole film. She's she's amazing,
0: incredible yeah. in this film. And uh, it it did make me go look her up. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had an, she had an amazing career. She, she was did, yeah. she was going to be she uh, she she was supposed to play the role that Gloria Stewart played in the old dark uh, the old dark house in nineteen thirty two. But for one reason or another, and I can't remember the circumstances, she uh, she did not she did not get it. She was supposed to get it, but Gloria Stewart got it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she went on to make just a zillion different movies in her career. Uh, and apparently, for a large number of people in the '40s, she was most famous for starring in several of the Ellery Queen movies, mm-hmm. uh, playing the playing the uh, reoccurring romantic character in that film. Yeah. Uh, but in the 30s, she was in a number of pretty famous uh, films, even some of the, the, the amazing pre-code films like Babyface, uh, Lady Killer, and uh, The World Changes, and a few things like that where her her career stretched. I mean, I think the last film that she was involved in was in 1974, and by then she was doing you know all kinds of television and all kinds of things of this nature. Mm-hmm. She even turned up in the first of the crime doctors films in the nineteen forties, which is a which is a whole series of, of mystery films, just you know B programmers that I really love. And uh, what kills me is that she is so good in this movie, and this yeah. is generally considered uh, not just the standout performance in this film, but the standout performance of her career. Yeah. yeah. And it is kind of a shame because as I went through her uh, her resume and kind of looked at her long list of credits, I realized I've seen this woman in several movies. I've seen hmm. Baby Face. I've uh. seen uh, at least one of those Ellery Queen films. I've seen her in a more, you know, a more than a handful of movies, and this is the first time where I took real notice of her,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which I, I maybe that just speaks poorly to my my ability yeah. to dis, to discern
2: yeah.
0: a, a quality actress when she's in front of me, but. Um, I'm glad now that I'm going to in the future be paying attention yeah. to this lady whenever I'm able to see her on screen because well, the she's other things great.
1: You, the other things you saw her in probably didn't call for her to, to play such a stretch of the character, It's such an arc, or you know, for the yeah. particular character she's yeah. playing.
0: Yeah, you're probably right there. That's true. Mm. But uh, I tell you what, folks, um, before we get uh, too deep into discussing the various aspects mm. of the of the cast, crew, and production of this movie, let's uh, let's take a quick break, and uh, we will come back, and then we'll dive into a plot synopsis of. The House of Seven Gables. The ghosts
4: are moving tonight, restless, hungry. All right, fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on this planet. Look to the
0: skies. It's the B-Movie Cookbook, menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B-movies from the 1950s, with teenage werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone.
4: When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until
0: then, we've got Ed Wood
4: and Vincent Price. There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited.
0: So impress your friends with dinner and a movie with the B-Movie Cookbook. We've got you covered. Get your copy today
4: at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com. Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing, just visit BMoviecookbook.com. Anybody around here?
3: Want Hello, to... and welcome to a commercial for Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. I'm Brad. And on the podcast that is known as Hello, This is the Doom Show, we talk about giallo movies, slasher movies, horror movies. We're going to interview Cary Grant live in the studio. We're going to interview Lucio Fulci in the studio, folks. We're going to put Cary Grant in the studio with Lucio Fulci. It's the interview you never thought would happen. I'm going to wear my Vincent Price flags. I'm going to wear my Citizen Kane wristwatch and monocle. And now Brad is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Portuguese. Brad, go. I don't have Portuguese. Go! Go! Stop hitting me! You're a natural actor. <laughs> yeah. You can listen to us at Hello Doomed show.podomatic.com or you can find the archive at doomedmoviethon.com
0: of Seven Gables, 1940. On a side street in New England stands a seven-gabled mansion with a dark past. In the mid-17th century, Colonel Pinchon accused carpenter Matthew Mall of practicing witchcraft. Mall was condemned to hang, and Pinchon claimed the man's land for himself. From the scaffold, Mall hurled out the curse, "'God hath given him blood to drink.'" Pynchon built Seven Gables, the house, on the dead man's land, but on the day the house was completed, he was found dead in the library. The strange seizure which killed Pynchon became known as Maul's Curse, and the legend that the spirit of Maul dwells in the house was born. Now see, right there, what Mm -hmm. you start off with Mm -hmm. is a story that could very easily Mm -hmm. go in the supernatural direction, so absolutely you've got right. a, a haunted house, right? right? Yeah, this big, huge, mm-hmm. seven-gabled house, mm-hmm. all these different rooms. Right. We we definitely know of. I mean, it's it's creepy as hell. The the, mm-hmm. the fact that the circumstances
2: mm-hmm.
0: are known by which the land was obtained. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a great setup yeah. for mm-hmm. a ghost story. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But hang on.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> hang on now. There's
0: more. <laughs> There's more. The film opens in 1828. With Boston lawyer Jeffrey Pinchon, played by George Sanders, returning home Ooh, to Seven Gables. Yes. <laughs> Boo yes. <laughs> returning home to Seven Gables in response to an urgent summons from his father, Gerald. Now, uh, let's let's talk about a minute about George Sanders. George Sanders <laughs> spent an entire career except uh, 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 for a few spots. For right. Except for a few spots. Playing uh, uh, total gluck, prick. tone yeah. pricks, Cads, whatever you want to call yeah, it. I mean, founders,
1: assholes, you know, just whatever. Yes, he, <laughs> he did it so, jerks. and he did it so well.
0: He did do it so well. Now, he did not. I mean, that was not every role he ever played because I mean, he was also. Oh yeah, he, he was the saint.
1: Yeah, and yeah. he was the Falcon. Uhhuh. right.
0: And so, and he, and he, and he plays a in his Oscar-winning role in. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, all about Eve.
0: All about Eve, which is, by the way, if you've never seen All About Great Eve, movie, yeah. see All About Eve. It's yeah. phenomenal, and Sanders won an Oscar for uh, a Best Supporting uh, Actor Oscar for his role in it. And on the surface, at first, you think he's playing one of his mm. typical asshole characters, but yeah. quite honestly, his character turns out to be a bit of a bit of a better person than yeah. than anybody else in that damn movie. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Sanders is. I love watching George Sanders too, on screen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's he's got that suave charm. He's able to, you know, he's, he's he's a British actor who seemed to be able to flip back and forth between uh, convincing you he was British and not making you not give a shit that he was probably British, but he sounds kind of vaguely American at mm-hmm. times as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I really enjoy watching him and even even yeah. in even in some of the films that he did in the late 60s or early 70s where you're you're thinking, "My god, this man is working way beneath."
2: Yeah. Way beneath himself.
0: <laughs> no, yeah because i mean you know i mean what was what was one of his last movies Cy- psychomania
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's right <laughs> I think that's the, right.
0: I think what was it the girl from rio maybe or something like that anyway it, you, you get to the point where i mean yeah george sanders is so talented and so interesting that he can class up anything yeah but if you're unaware george sanders did commit suicide yeah. um yeah. later in his life just feeling that. Well, I mean, he had uh, there were there he, he had some medical problems and things of that nature, and uh, from what I understand, also some problems with uh, dementia. So it's not as if he wasn't making what some might claim was a rational decision to end his life at that point before things got worse. But he is he's someone that every time I see that his name I see his name in mm. the credits, I know at least there's going to be one kind of arch, interesting, yeah. possibly amusing performance in the film, and I'm going to enjoy myself. Uh, Sanders is um, he's a, he's a joy even when he's kind of you know like I say playing the Saint or the Falcon where he's mm. kind of tamped down a yeah. little bit yeah um, because he's he's kind of he's kind of being the good guy <laughs> which you know he's he maybe the good guy thief but he's still a good guy to a degree
1: well and uh, of course the the legends about or the you know the the picture we have of 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 Sanders is that he kind of became that character that he was known. Or being in real yeah. life and which is why nobody liked him you know now Vincent Price himself was spoke you know didn't really have anything bad to say about him I think uh, Price said about him said he was a he was a lovely man who wanted people to think he was an awful man and of course that could just be Price being you know uh, diplomatic but
0: but then again you know, there, but this, there there are reports that they had a couple of clashes while making this movie uh, yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah. So it I, does make I, you wonder. Yeah.
0: It, well, it does make you wonder, and also, exactly. that's why
1: I'm saying it could just be Vincent Price not wanting to speak ill of the ill of the dead, possibly. But
0: true, very true, and who knows? Like mm-hmm. I say, I, I think that I think that he's always a joy. He's someone yeah. I enjoy. I enjoy watching him.
1: Well, he's certainly great as the person you're supposed to hate in this film. <laughs> you know, Jack. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, and he played all kinds of things. Out yeah. the, the first time I ever took notice of him in my younger days is, of course, when I was. Mark, force marching my way through every pirate movie I could get my hands on, and he plays a pirate in The Black Swan, the Tyler <sighs> Power film, and he's just he's just an absolute blast in that. And uh, of course, he's he's that way in everything everything mm. you ever see him in. Mm-hmm. But um, he takes this role in this film, and of course, it's almost like it's almost like a role that was just built for that asshole character that he's yeah. so good, he's so eager to play or so talented at playing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what we have here is a guy who's a, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Oh, and let's, I want to, before we get too far into this, I want to take note of the names of characters in this thing. Yeah. Now, these are all names that are taken straight from the novel, so this is mm-hmm. where they come from. They right. come from Hawthorne. Right. So it's not Jeffrey. Yeah. It's Jeffrey. Jeffrey Yeah. It's like, it's like he, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's like he, 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 like, randomly scrambled vowels. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, right. I don't know how common Jeffrey was as opposed mm-hmm. to Jeffrey. but hey, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. But of course... Then we come to <laughs> then we come to Margaret Lindsay's character's name
1: <laughs>
0: and what the hell now, where, where did that name come from uh,
1: he- Hepsibah H- Hepsibah now that's a name that needs to come back people need to come, some people need to start calling your daughter's Hepsibah that's just amazing. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of is either a witch or a witch is familiar you know is is, yeah. is what that makes me think of you know? exactly <laughs>
0: that, I I was the, the first time it said in the movie uh-huh. I thought there's what the hell, mm. and then they kept you know yeah. their name gets repeated yeah. several times throughout the movie, and you finally glom onto the fact that no, it's Hepziga, Hepzibah, Hepzibah. 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 Oh my God, what the hell! It's is a name,
1: name that I've heard before, but I cannot tell you where. And there's probably some character from a TV show or or literature besides this name that. So if any of you listeners out there can tell me where I've heard the name Hepzibah uh besides House of Seven Gables I'd appreciate it because I know that I'd heard the name but as I said the the image that came to mind was of a of a witch you know or something like that like so you know so
0: but what kills me is I yeah, I look at the names of the characters like especially like the four main characters in yeah. the film and I I wonder if maybe Hawthorne wasn't attempting to use all 26 letters. <laughs> we got, he got a Z in there. Yeah. Got, <laughs> <laughs> easy, easy. So let's change Jeffrey to Joffrey. Yeah. Or, to, to, yeah, let's <laughs> a little,
1: oh,
0: Lord. I mean, like the only one that seems to have it, like well, like their dad has a normal name, Gerald.
1: You're right, yeah.
0: As I speak to a Gerald. As you awesome. speak
1: to a Gerald, that's right.
0: <laughs> okay, well, at any rate, uh, Joffrey has been brought back, has been summoned back to the house by his father, And uh, he has it explained to him. Actually, there's this great scene where I do, I do love the scene where uh, Joffrey, who hasn't seen his brother Clifford, Mm. Clifford is played by um, Vincent Price, and Clifford is a is a a musical. Well, we wouldn't call him Pro- prodigy, but he has he has now sold music. So mm-hmm. this is young this is young man who uh, has a future, and mm-hmm. he's definitely looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Which is he's going to be someone who is is a composer. He's going to actually he plans to go off to New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's already sold some music, and he intends to make the best of his life. And he wants to get away from Seven Gables and mm-hmm. go out into the world. Uh, the scene between uh, Price and Sanders, uh, yeah. when it's a <laughs> the, the first time they've seen each other in
1: uh, like a decade or more. Like, yeah. yeah.
0: Price Price actually says it.
1: <laughs> Sanders is such an aloof. Prick. Oh, he is. He is. And 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 Price, you know, Clifford obviously takes some delight in 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 you know in kind of needling him a little bit. You can tell yeah. you there's almost kind of a little amusing amused glint in his eye to just kind of knowing how much his <laughs> his brother is hating hating him and hating being there. <laughs>
0: Well, we learn that uh, there's been a series of bad investments made by both Jaffery and their father Gerald, mm-hmm. and it has left the entire pension family penniless. Uh, Gerald is preparing to sell the house before it falls into the hands of the of its of the creditors of the family. Now, uh, Clifford Vincent Price's character and distant cousin Hepzibah, who is played by Margaret Lindsay are eagerly looking forward to the sale because, using Clifford's share of the proceeds, they can get married and live in New York where Clifford will pursue his living as a musician.
1: Now, I want to just interject real quick that in the novel, Clifford and Hepzibah are brother and sister. sister. Uh, But I uh, I love the fact that, you know, since they wanted to make them lovers, they'll just make them cousins in this (laughs) movie. It's just like, because that's much more palatable, apparently. (laughs) Apparently, the Hayes office didn't mind that at all.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I kind of—that's what I was talking about when I yeah. when I was talking about the the, the changing of the familial relations yeah, because we, yeah. we 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 shift from siblings to cousins and it's mm-hmm. and it's uh-huh. suddenly it's okay,
1: it's eight, you know, hey, hey,
0: we'll, t- we'll marry them off together. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's there was a lot of that kind of stuff in novels. Okay, mm-hmm. for instance, in the uh, the original novel of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Mary Shelley has uh, her 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 protagonist. The, the, the grand Dr. Frankenstein mm-hmm. in love with this little girl that he grew up with who yeah. was raised in his house. Now, they're yeah. not blood-related, right. Right. but at the same time, they were raised as brother and sister, mm-hmm. and they, they're in love with each other and intend to get married. And it's like, <laughs> it's not technically <laughs> incest,
1: <laughs> right. But it's so <laughs>
0: fucking close that you kind of wonder
2: it's like I, I would
0: be afraid to get married to someone that I that I lived yeah. for 20 years yeah. in the same neighborhood with.
2: Yeah, But
0: you, like you you, you grew up in the same house and both of you called the same two people mom and dad. <laughs> We have a problem.
2: <laughs>
0: I've often wondered when, when, was there a point past which, when, when, when literature in the English language suddenly went, okay, fuck that incest stuff. We've had yeah. enough of it. Well, We're not going to do it anymore.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I would. It's funny because I would have expected the whole cousin lover thing to have been more <laughs> of a acceptable or a norm, natural at the time that. Hawthorne wrote the novel than necessarily in the time that in the, the in the forties when this movie is yeah, made, you yeah. know. So Well
0: yeah. I mean they're setting it they're, they're they're setting it as a it's a period set story. Yeah, well that's so, true, I mean, I yeah. They, so I guess, they, I guess that's how they yeah. figure
1: it's like, yeah, people are just kinda yeah, more perverted back then. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: they weren't aware that having <laughs> that, that having children with close relations was probably yeah. the reason you have cleft pellets.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Well, the pride of the Pynchons. Welcome home. Good evening. (laughs) Same old Jeff. Been away two years and all you can manage is good evening. Well, it is evening, I believe. Um, You know, Jeff, you're no longer the only success in the family. I've sold a composition. Quite a remarkable piece of music. Shall I uh, play it for you? Uh, I'd much rather know why Father... Oh, he'll tell you all about that. Just think, Jeff. Pond & Company, the greatest music house in the world, publishing me splendid splendid my legal colleagues will be most impressed my brother a musician a gypsy shocking isn't it boston might think so boston that provincial outpost (laughs) they won't see me for years no it's new york for me old fella and then europe come in your father has returned now perhaps i might be honored with some information you weren't very kind to him were you Clifford there's so little kindness in my small heart I must keep it all for you you know I don't think it's a very good idea to leave those two gentlemen alone any longer than is necessary Clifford to be respectful I am to all that's beautiful to you
0: well leaving the concept of incest in the past here mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Both Gerald and Joffrey, Jaffrey,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I want to pronounce it with an O and play Game of Thrones here, but I can't do (laughs) it. Both Gerald and Jaffrey are appalled at the idea of selling their home, but Clifford, bright and forward-thinking, has no love for the decaying house, nor respect for his scurrilous and disreputable ancestors. And I will say that that he is the only member of the family who seems to, or at least the only male member of the family, Mm -hmm. I should say, who does not seem to hold that his his Mm. forebearers in Mm. great regard and there's that great scene where he walks around just denigrating the port he goes to each portrait of of, of the past generations of the family and Mm. and brings them up and then explains exactly how they made their money and how how much of a criminal bunch of
1: bastards they all really were well um what well, we can get to at some point here is we'll we'll discuss the fact that Clifford is basically a mouthpiece directly for director mouthpiece for the scriptwriter and uh, yeah, pretty so we'll much. get to that uh, here in, in a, little while, a little bit.
0: And there was yeah, there was a bit of controversy about that. I guess yes, we'll, there was. I guess we'll get to that, but only years later.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Clifford catches the money grubbing Jaffrey later that night, mm. searching the house, and realizes that he's, that his uh, his brother still clings to his belief in the rumor that a valuable land grant has been hidden somewhere within the, home, the house's walls. Uh, Jaffrey is almost desperate to, to locate this. That's one reason why he doesn't want to sell the house, because he thinks if he can just you know, start doing some kind of concerted search through the place, that he can locate this. And he's convinced that this land grant will give the family, I mean, they will, the, the government will have to, to give them large sums of money because mm-hmm. they are supposed to legally have claim on a large parcel of land somewhere else in the country.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Gerald and Jaffrey maneuver to find a way to maintain the house, while Clifford continues to look forward to its sale. But in private, Clifford gets into a vehement argument with his father, who suffers a sudden seizure and strikes his head as he falls. Jaffrey realizes that Gerald has succumbed to Maul's curse, but he seizes the opportunity to charge Clifford with the old man's murder. Clifford's day in court is a travesty reminiscent of the old Salem Witch Trials. The jury decides on a verdict of guilty without even leaving the box.
1: I had to. I had to wonder about that. Would that even have been allowed? I was just curious about I don't that. Know. Is that actually possible that a jury's yeah, can even, yeah, even? They don't even talk to each other.
0: They just look at each
1: other. And and just, like, I know yeah, they're just yeah, like oh, we know. Yes, yeah, so I don't even know if even back then maybe it was. And but I just I had just think like I don't know that's totally realistic. But hey, that's okay. We'll go with it. You know, but
0: but this is this is a, this is a great section of the film. Because oh yeah, it, is. it has one of well, it has one of my favorite of uh, prices um,
1: just. Meltdowns. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It's a meltdown. He where he where he does uh after being sentenced mm-hmm. to life in prison essentially, mm-hmm. uh he's he he tells off the entire courtroom and uh you know, tell tells the truth. Like that mm-hmm. man right there, that, my brother who's accusing me of this and who's you know, mm-hmm. you're convicting me completely on his say so mm-hmm. is lying. And he has yeah. reason to be lying yeah. and his reason is financial gain
1: what's neat about this film and the last one we did with price the invisible man returns are are that even though he's playing the good guy in in both those films and as i've talked before his i still i still maintain that his voice is not yet he's not yet started speaking like the classic vincent price you know he's still not his voice is not but in those in moments in invisible Man returns where he was starting to go a bit mad from you know from the formula and in this one here in, in like this scene here we do get kind of a glimpse at the 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 future, you know, what Vincent Price—the kind of roles he would play when he's when he's yeah. kind of a, uh, you know, kind of going off the rails in these in these scenes here, and and really even the scene you're talking about where he goes around and he's just talking about all the paintings—is yes. he starts to get into that kind of a thing where you can kind of see that manic. You know that that price He that he, get he
0: gets to he gets to monologue a bit. Yeah, he does, and yeah. he really plays it up. And it's yeah, the kind of yeah. thing that I, that almost any actor, especially a, a stage trained mm-hmm. actor, mm-hmm. would kill for. Which yeah. is those which are those scenes where you're the center of attention, mm-hmm. and the dialogue is all written for you to proclaim. Mm-hmm. And he's really doing a great job in these two scenes with that. And he has some other moments to shine later in the movie, in the latter half of the film. But these are the. Really strong emotional outburst sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff that he's doing in the latter part of the film is much more subtle and subtle and nuanced because he's playing a character who, at that point, is 20 years older,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, the, the 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 difference is 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 striking. But I think it's great that they allowed him to be that really energetic man oh, in his 20s yeah. in these yeah. opening sequences, so that when he is. You know, in his late forties, and yeah. the in the, in the latter part of the film, and that mm-hmm. physical change is manifesting itself in the fact that that energy just isn't there
1: mm-hmm.
0: is is really nice. Um, oh, by the way, we were handed a note, and we should we should point out that we've been uh, we've been uh, subtly this, rebuked.
1: Yeah, this like this, this this panel just slid open in the wall, and this arm came out <laughs> with uh with, with this sheet with of note. paper. But yes,
0: uh, it, it turns out that Hep, uh, that uh, is a biblical name. Uh, in the Bible, she was the wife of King Judah, and uh, her name Hepsibah translates as "My delight is in her," mm-hmm. which I think is filthy.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. That's that's a,
0: that's a filthy name. Mm-hmm. So Hepsibah is uh, is a porno name. That's mm-hmm. kind of baby. <laughs> Maybe we're well, not sure. It may have been a stripper name in biblical times.
1: <laughs> that's what they wrote on bathroom walls in the biblical <laughs> times. That's biblical <laughs> times graffiti. There is what that is there. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness! So uh, biblical stripper names.
1: That's right. <laughs> that's
0: that's our discovery for this episode.
1: Okay, so so parents don't name your daughter's hips about. Take it totally back there.
0: <laughs> the translate the translation says no. All right, all right. So Clifford uh, is sentenced to life imprisonment. Uh, his dead father's insurance money uh, pays off the debt on the house, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. But unbeknownst to Jaffrey. Uh, who has who is very thrilled because he's he walking on he, air. He's, he's walking on air because he thinks now he's got yeah. the he's he's inherited the house and so he's <laughs> going to be like tear this place apart and he's actually <laughs> making plans
1: oh. to tear this house apart to find this stuff. My favorite George Sanders moment is where he's you know he's so barely able to contain his his joy over you know over uh, how things well things have gone for him and I love his just his 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 uh you know his incredible. Kind gesture of you know that he's going to allow Hepzibah to stay, you know, yeah. to continue to live in the house, but not because she's family, but because it would be unseemly for her to be walking the streets. Although he basically says, although you obviously have that type of mind, since you've you know been with, he seems to says a scarlet type of mind, which I guess is a reference to Hawthorne's Scarlet Letter. But yeah, but uh, but I just love that, that that you know he's he's just what a, what a generous guy you are, Jeffrey. That you know because you don't want her to reflect badly back upon the family name, you're not going to. Let her be cast out there. <laughs>
0: but wonderfully enough, uh, in uh, the midst of his plans to uh, tear the house apart to find mm-hmm. the uh, possibly completely mythical land grant papers, mm-hmm. um, he finds out from the from his father's lawyer that uh, his father Gerald has signed the deed over to Hepzibah mm-hmm. to prevent creditors from seizing the house. Uh, <laughs> she now owns the place; it's hers. <laughs> it's completely paid off, uh, and she can do with the house whatever the hell she wants. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, she, of course, doesn't enjoy this bit of news at all. She doesn't She doesn't, <laughs> no, she doesn't no, rub it in on poor Jaffrey Jeff, at all.
0: <laughs> no, she immediately orders Jaffrey to leave the house forever, to never set foot in again. Uh, she seals up and then immediately seals the place up
2: mm.
0: and uh, then basically spends the next 20 years leading a kind of dismal, solitary existence, pining for her lost Clifford. Now... These are these are the kinds of things that I love about gothic stories to begin with. Is mm-hmm. There's uh, first you've, you've got the house, you've got the mm-hmm. setting. Mm-hmm. Then you have you you bring the characters in and you have you know a, a, a horrible circumstance, uh, an mm-hmm. accidental death, mm-hmm. um, someone uh, someone accused, perhaps a suicide. There's you know there's always something of this nature, and it's always brought shame to the mm-hmm. family in some mm-hmm. horrible way. Mm-hmm. And then we have. There's always a woman involved, there's always either <laughs> it's 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 various shades of possible shame, scorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, there's the classic, you know, woman uh, uh, spurned uh, mm. on her wedding day. Mm-hmm. There's the the, the classical uh, husband uh, husband died in the war and never returned. There's all kinds of things mm. of this nature. But whatever we're looking for here, what we're looking for is for the woman to have reason to be. Forever depressed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah.
0: To always be wearing black, to mm-hmm. always be dour-looking, to always have a, a truly terrible outlook on life. Mm-hmm. So that hopefully something can happen in the final third of the story that either uh, sends her into a raving madwoman's stance and just she goes crazy and kills people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Always a favorite. Or we have something positive happen that might actually bring this poor, mm-hmm. benighted woman's soul back to the light. Mm-hmm. So... Once you know that you're in that kind of story, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're basically rolling dice to see what you get. Mm-hmm. And not that we're going to tell you right yet. We'll get there because, come on, man, this movie's old. We're going to spoil we're it for spoil you. We're going to spoil it. And, but it's there's good that we
1: said that. Well, we will warn you that you, you should see the movie before you listen to this podcast.
0: Yeah, 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 because we are going to spoil it because we, we, uh, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. And I really want to kind of juicily dig into the plot mm-hmm. details of the final mm-hmm. third, um, because I think there's some interesting mm-hmm. script weirdnesses yeah. that happen because of the way they want it all to wrap up. Yeah. But because we have this woman, who's it almost feels like a Dickens thing because Dickens is a story. Dickens's story, Charles Dickens' stories, almost always had those weird financial reversals mm-hmm. where a character, you know, was like in abject poverty and then out of nowhere inherits a shitload of money and is rich. Yeah. yeah. And then loses all the money and is poor again, or whatever. There are all these ridiculous reversals of fortune that, because those kinds of things actually happened to Charles Dickens in his life, he wrote them into his fiction, Mm -hmm. and it kind of became—I mean, it kind of became one of those things that got built into a lot of storytelling. Yeah, um, because it was just seen because Dickens was so popular. So here we have a little element of that in this story. Where a character who is literally packed to leave the house, Hepsibah is packed to leave the mm-hmm. house because she knows Joffrey. She she doesn't want to live with him. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't want to be anywhere near him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the, the the will is read out, and by God, her 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 there, there, the, that's the the strangest thing about it is she has a complete reversal of financial fortunes. Mm-hmm. She now is essentially wealthy to a degree. She owns mm-hmm. a house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And can toss Joffrey's ass, mm-hmm. Jaffrey's uh, ass out on the street. But as much joy as that may give her, what it does is it turns her. I mean, it, it does. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't change the 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 pain within her, right, and so she right. still just folds in on herself, which is beautifully realized and symbolically by <clears throat> having her close that whole house up and then having mm-hmm. the years slowly pass and it start to deteriorate and fall apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And that is a, a a wonderful bit of symbolism that. Exists within the basic story itself, but visualized in the film, it's really nicely done as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should point out that uh, there's a lot of this kind of thing in the movie. Um, there's a,
1: oh, there's some beautiful visual, yes, tellings of a, of this story. You know what's happening with the characters. That,
0: well, okay, for instance, uh, I think there there are several times when we're first introduced to Hepzibah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We see her. We we see her and her shadow. There's yeah. a prominent display of not just her, but her shadow,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is kind of giving you the idea that this is this is going to be a woman who's going to, we're going to see two different aspects of her. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to see the darker aspects of her and the lighter aspects of her. So there's this there's this beautiful light on her, mm-hmm. and she's radiant, but always in the frame is her shadow. Mm-hmm. And that's not true of every other character, but it's, right. not, it's true of her in the first third of the film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then once she shuts that place up, you start to notice that throughout the rest of the movie, Almost every time you see her, she's framed in a window or in a doorway. Mm -hmm. She's never Mm -hmm. she's never shot in a way that presents her in an open room or an open space. Mm -hmm. And it's as if the house is holding her in place, as if that house is closed in around her, and that's her prison. Good point. Yeah, and and it's as if her life is mirroring the the solitude and the the uh, prison life that her beloved is is suffering through as well. And uh, that's just a visual thing. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it, it's it's not something you necessarily have to consciously notice. Yeah. But once you start noticing that every time you see her mm-hmm. through that middle portion of the film, she's framed in a way that puts her very in cool. a very box. interesting,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, which is which is just one of those things. I'm gonna I'm gonna credit that to, to Joe May, the director, because uh, he, he he was he was a German man, and he uh, he did bring a lot of uh, German expressionist. Mm-hmm. Um, stylistic touches mm-hmm. to the movies that he made when he came over here to the States. And I think that's not necessarily German, you know, German mm-hmm. style. That's not necessarily that kind of thing, but it, it, it is a, a kind of visual storytelling that gets across something, even if it's just subliminally about the character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course,
1: well, yes, yeah, they, they're,
0: they're, 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 gr- they're graying her hair. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, de- yeah. they're yeah. putting age makeup on her as well as we go through. But, um, it's 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 things like that. It's how you frame the character within the the, the frame of the film that can yeah. make you get a sense of what that person's life is like, what, yeah. and what her inner life is like. I should
3: say.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, by the accounts we've read, because we talked about him in *The Invisible* and *Returns*, you know, Joe May was apparently a lot of people had difficulty working with him. But I really yeah. think I was impressed with his directing in that first film and that other film. But this, I really was impressed with his directing in this film as yeah. well.
0: Yeah. He's got a great set here. he's mm, got, a, he great, does, he's got yeah. a great set and a great because we've got this little town. we've got this little town and uh, the, the set around mm-hmm. there and they' populated it with a few interesting characters here and there. And mm-hmm. then as we get into the latter part of the film we have some really interesting characters. yeah. And the movie does open up a little bit because we see something other. We, we go to places other than just inside the house mm-hmm. or inside you know uh, a courtroom or inside a prison mm-hmm. cell. Mm-hmm. So we do get some different visual looks. But uh, it, it opens up a little bit, I should mm-hmm. say.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the, uh, the, uh, the look is almost always of these characters pl- being placed in boxes or placing themselves within boxes mm-hmm. and uh, things kind of pushing in around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that changes a bit once Clifford is out of prison, but we'll, yeah. we'll get there mm-hmm. because then you mm-hmm. can start having shots out in the garden in the ho- of the house again, outside mm-hmm. when he starts talking about wanting to plant things again. And suddenly, you can see the sky again. <laughs> it's the first. It's the first time in a long time in the movie you get to see the sky, and so you get a very different feeling because there's a there's a there's a specific uh, a specific number of shots in the movie where there's a ceiling, and that's rare in a film of this type it is where true. You're, where your spot where you're you're able to see the tops of things, even if it's just yeah, the way right. the, the way they're built, the way they're building the sets to give you the idea of a ceiling. There, it's mm-hmm. always you know there's you're always in a place, you're always in an mm-hmm. interior mm-hmm. until Clifford gets out, and then you're outside before then the only times you're outside in the movie is when you're seeing the mailman who's kind of a comedic character Mm -hmm. and that's it yeah until Mm that's a price's character gets out of prison but i'm kind of getting ahead of myself so
4: (laughs) treasure hunt yes yes you can call it that if you like so this is the reason for your pious defense of your ancestors not the legend of their nobility, but the fable of their hidden wealth. This is no fable, you fool. One million acres in the state of Maine, ours. I've dug into ancient archives in Boston. Aside from this map, I've actually seen documents that refer to the land grant. Somewhere hidden in these rotting walls, as you call them, along with his other papers, is a deed to Colonel Jeffrey Pynchon, signed by King Charles II. Supposing you found them, what value would they be? That was 180 years ago, Jeffrey. The cities there now, thousands of people... Will you issue orders of eviction? But Clifford, don't you see? With the original deed in our possession, the government is obliged to compensate us. It'll mean millions for us, Clifford, millions. Help me, work with me. We'll tear the house down board by board until we find it. There's nothing to find, you fool. There are no hidden staircases, no secret rooms. Those were fables grandmother invented and rainy afternoons for our amusement. Why well, you might as well believe that there's a half a million in gold hidden with the deed. She used to speak about that too. It has yet to be proven otherwise. And Maul's curse. Perhaps you believe that uh, old Matthew Maul's ghost still hovers over the pensions, wreaking vengeance. It has yet to be proven otherwise. Well, uh, good night and uh, don't let the witches get you.
0: Well, many years pass and the house falls into disrepair and Hepzibah becomes a drawn middle-aged spinster. In the state prison, a brash young abolitionist who briefly shares a cell with Clifford turns out to be Matthew Mall, a descendant of the original landowner
2: mm-hmm. that started yeah. this whole thing
0: <laughs> way back when anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Matthew Mall is played by Dick Ferran. Mm-hmm who every time i see a, a mention of dick Ferran in any any kind of film book or any kind of reference material that, that devoted to cinema he's always referred to as the a singing he was a singing cowboy a singing mm-hmm. western star mm-hmm. and i got to be honest i I've still never I seen. I do know in a that western. I have.
1: I don't know that I have either. I don't know that I've seen any of the singing. Where Westerns.
0: I know Dick Foran from mm-hmm. is the Mummy's Hand. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the next Universal horror mm-hmm. film that came out this same year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's where I first got to know him. And now, of course, in subsequent years, I've seen him turn up in a lot of other movies as well. As I, you know, you start going through movies in the forties and fifties, uh, he was in a lot of movies. But I still don't think I've ever seen him in a damn western. Where he's singing, yeah. I don't, remember, I don't remember
1: ever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean,
0: it's it's like that weird feeling when I found out that uh, Dick Powell, who I knew as you know this tough, hard boiled detective in Murder mm. My Sweet, yeah, was a song and dance man
2: in the thirties. <laughs> like,
0: really? Because he like beat the hell out of that guy with a with a bedspring. <laughs> Are you sure about that?
2: <laughs>
0: but yeah, he, he he was known primarily for uh, Dick. Ferran was known primarily for his performances in Western uh, musicals. Uh, and he, he did a lot of supporting roles, but the weird thing is, is his actual name was John Nicholas Ferran, and he took the name Dick after, when, he, when he moved into uh, film. Yeah, early on he was uh, actually uh, a singer on the radio, and it was under, under his, his name uh, Nick Ferran, and he went on to become a lead singer with a band and to later form his own orchestra. But when he got into films, mm-hmm. he decided to, to, to use the name Dick to kind of distance himself from that. Huh. But it didn't really help. I mean, yeah. here, here's the thing. The guy was six foot two, had red hair. Yeah. And so he was kind of like unmissable. But he, was, he could actually sing. He was very good at it. And so he was hired on the basis of the fact that he could sing. And so that's where he got in front of the vast majority of the public in the 30s in movies like uh, Change of Heart And uh, basically, a bunch of different films for Fox Mm. for Fox Studios, Mm. where he was just a singing cowboy, Uh, Moonlight on the Prairie, Song of the Saddle, Guns (laughs) of the Pecos, Empty Holsters, Cowboy from Brooklyn. (laughs) But then, in 1938, he moved to Universal Studios, and yeah, he made uh, he made just about every kind of film. The way he he made movies with and Costello, Mm -hmm. he made a bunch of comedies, Mm -hmm. and then uh, what really what what Really broke him apparently uh, was a movie called Private Buckaroo in '42. Then he did, uh, uh, well, like I say, what we know him for is, yeah. the, is, is the of his mommy's hand. Mm-hmm. But um, he was also in Donovan's Reef with John Wayne and things like this. So he's once, once, it, once you see him in, in a movie, he's got a pretty distinctive face, even though I've never seen him in a color feature that I can remember. I can't not remember I him. Can't, Don- I, I can't know. remember him in Donovan's Reef. I'm assuming his hair was still red, but I no. don't know. No. <laughs> so him having red hair would not register with me at all. But he's such an amiable performer.
1: I was going to say that's his. I think his basic quality is. he's yeah. There's something about him you instantly like. He he makes. He's perfect for the kind of roles that I've seen him in because he's he works as a leading man, but he's because he's but more because of he well, he's just handsome. has such a he's handsome, but not like not like blindingly handsome, not like a just, you know, super matinee idol kind of looks. He's much more of an kind of an everyman kind of nice looks, nice personality, you know, just likable guys. Like the guy, he just sort of has that sort of affable is the right word. You're right. Uh It comes across in his, his performances.
0: Uh, But at any rate, he is a, he turns out to be, (laughs) uh, he's a, he's a, he's an abolitionist in this film, which by the way is a major change from, Uh from the Nathaniel Hawthorne story. Mm -hmm but uh and he's a descendant of the original Matthew Mall and so we see uh in in a great bit of uh foreshadowing in this film
2: mm-hmm.
0: you see Vincent Price's character of Clifford meet mm-hmm. this fellow mm-hmm. and the two of them are kind of highly amused that yeah. by sheer chance the two of them ended up in the same jail cell
1: yeah
0: and they become fast friends and then the movie just
1: kind of fades to black yeah right doesn't really tell you what what went on after that what did right. they talk about they, right
0: yeah. so the movie thing goes to uh showing us hebzibah's life where she's living in poverty and is forced to take in a border to turn and to uh she's she's now decided she's also going to have to turn her front parlor <laughs> in the house into a one cent shop
1: which is like, <laughs> which she could not have done anything more shameful, you know, yeah. more just dis- to bring more disgrace and shame upon her, upon herself at this particular time, you know, than to be a gentlewoman uh, who's opening a scent shop. <laughs> it's scandalous! No, no, my God, she's going to be a a business a business woman. <laughs>
0: And, 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 of course, this just horrifies jo, uh, Joffrey. Oh, buddy. absolutely. He, yeah. he knows he knows, a, Jaff, Jaffrey knows. a hell of a lot better than to come anywhere near the house.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, just as she's made this decision, she, she receives word that uh, another distant relation, a cousin by the name of Phoebe Pynchon, who's played by Nan Gray, Nan another, Gray. another actor from The Invisible Man Returns, mm-hmm. uh, has... Uh, I forget, the de- I forget the details of why she's was because well, her, her father, her father's, her father's, father's died,
1: yeah, right. So she, yeah, she has she no has place to go. live, right?
0: And so she's going to have to come and live at the at the at Seven Gables. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hepzibah doesn't seem particularly happy about this news or unhappy necessarily, but Phoebe shows up at the time that she's about to open this one cent shop, mm-hmm. and Phoebe, who's just a, a a youthful ball of energy, just throws herself into the idea. Mm-hmm thinking that basically just telling her look this this is this is some way I can be helpful to yeah, you this yeah, is a way that I won't be a burden
1: because for Phoebe it has no stigma at all I mean she's yeah. not she doesn't come from money or social standings you know so yeah. so to her she's like I've done this before I know how to you know yeah, I'm I know like, how, I'm how to do totally, this yeah.
0: I can help I can yeah. help you do this
1: and this by the way is exactly where the novel begins the novel begins as with Hepsibah opening the scent shop and and being and, and actually in the in the novel the way Hepzibah and Clifford both are written is to be even older than they are in this movie, you know, where they're in actually even now. even more older and tired and kind of withered. And uh, Hawthorne mentions uh, makes a lot of the fact that the whole town is scandalized by what Hepzibah doing. Although I think there's a little bit of a, there's certainly some I think some humor in what he's I think he's he's more wanting you know pointing out the ridiculousness of the people's scorn for Hepzibah than necessarily you know, thinking that it's, you know, portraying her as actually doing something that's terrible, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a yeah. lot of underlying sort of social satire in what he's doing, but it starts with her opening this scent shop, um, you know, and again, doesn't tell for a long time what, uh, you know, the backstories of these characters, it, but it does contrast a lot as Phoebe is coming to live with her. The fact that the, the, the shop picks up business when Phoebe takes over you know cuz nobody wants to go there when Hepzibah is the sales lady cuz she's so <laughs> grim and dour nobody wants to go there but as soon as Phoebe takes over you know people start flocking in cuz they love this sales girl
0: <laughs> well as played by Nan Gray that makes sense
1: mm-hmm.
0: now of course we're also introduced to um the border that she's taken in to to mm-hmm. help her, to help her yeah. with expenses and uh, we Mr. can Hargrove. see yeah, yeah. We, it's, it, we can see that the border is a, <clears> a fellow by the name of Matthew Hallgrave. And uh, we see that that is Dick Ferrand. So yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Matthew Maul who's living there under an assumed name.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the, the, the wary mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. bright cinema-goer yeah. will have noticed yeah. that, aha, yeah. some shit's going down.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's
0: pulling something they somewhere.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, soon after Phoebe comes and they open the scent shop, we learn that Clifford's sentence is commuted, and he returns to Seven Gables. But he has been stripped of his civil rights. He cannot leave the property or marry Hepzibah until he proves his innocence. So, although he is not in prison, he can't. He can't be married. He can't yeah. own property. He right. can't have a job. He can't do anything that would actually allow him to be a real, totally free man because right. he's, this this uh, this uh, conviction still hangs over his head, which seems. Pretty fucking heinous coming. of thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's bad enough that we don't allow convicts to vote ever mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives. What yeah. this is this is even worse. Yeah, this is terrible. I mean, you could never get married. <laughs> I mean, you could never have a. I mean, what the hell kind of shit is that? Anyway, yeah. that's that's horrible. That's thank thank God time moves forward. <laughs> oh, but but the one thing we should point out is that. It's very, it's very well. We we should point out that it's very difficult for Clifford when he comes back. At First, mm. he's he's still he's obviously suffering from a, a great deal of shame, and he, he, he can't even bring himself really the first night he's in the house to even see anybody. Uh, and in a in a very sad couple of, in a in a very sad pair of scenes, mm. he goes to his wardrobe, and the the clothes that um, he was planning to wear when he was going to marry uh, Hepzibah. Uh, is moth-eaten, and the both of the, the both of them had made uh, jokes about uh, being able to wear those clothes yeah. uh, when he got out of prison, and he making the joke about them being moth-eaten. And of course, they actually are. And then, uh, in the twin scene to that, she knows Hepzibah knows he's in the house. She, you know, they can mm-hmm. they can hear mm-hmm. each other in the house, but they haven't seen each other yet. And she goes to her chest and goes and pulls out her clothing.
1: Pulls yes, out basically the yeah, dress, the dress, that, dress yeah. that he loved so much, and this actually is my favorite scene in the whole movie. I just She's think it's wonderful. I think, well, and then the whole way, the thing, it's just a very emotional moment, and incredibly yeah. well filmed and edited. You know, these scene between the both of them, knowing they're going to see each other the next day think they, they can they can wear those clothes, yeah, yeah, but they can't
0: because right. yeah. they they they're unwearable anymore yeah. just just
1: as they kind of jokingly feared
0: mm. it might might come to pass mm-hmm. and it's a bu- it's it's a beautiful scene because neither of them there's no dialogue they' right. there's they they're single person sequences, and both of these actors really do a fantastic job, but once again it is it is the actress who takes yeah. the fucking cake in this sequence yeah. she is so good yeah she's so good in that scene just the the, mm-hmm. the looks that go over her face as she
2: mm-hmm.
0: the, there's that upswing of 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 hope and then she's going through the chest and she pulls the clothing out and then she's looking at the dress and mm-hmm. then that mm-hmm. crestfallen look that comes over and that slightly depressed look that she kind of sinks into and then she kind of you see her kind of mentally pick herself up and realize this is you know I may have mm. you know this yeah. is this is not a terrible thing this yeah. is not a terrible thing we're still mm. here he's out of prison yeah but it's 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 beautiful because you you don't need the di- you don't need any dialogue from from her whatsoever you don't need mm. some kind of voiceover you don't need to be hearing this character's thoughts because it's all right there on that actress's face she's just fantastic
1: well the reason her performance out of all these good performances is my favorite is because she does so well as the two different hepsibas she doesn't overplay either one you know yeah. it's like because in the first we're obviously the contrast you know she's she's playing a character who is is you know optimistic and happy and full of life but she doesn't overplay that part of it and right. then when she's supposed to be dour and and shut herself off from humanity you know like even the way she deals with Phoebe that she may not be glad she's may not really be happy with the situation there she doesn't overplay the dourness or the unpleasantness either i mean it's yeah. like she hits kind of a perfect balance i think
0: yeah she, she's really good and she adds immeasurably to this film's effectiveness yeah well also we should note that uh, a romance that seems to be blooming between phoebe and matthew mm-hmm. and uh, that will i'm sure because this is a gothic romance of a type mm-hmm. bloom into something interesting later on mm-hmm. well the legend of the hidden land grant resurfaces and Matthew spreads the word that Clifford has lost his reason and is searching the house for the document. Mm-hmm. He plants a story in the local mm-hmm, newspaper. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fucking clever. As, yeah, as is, soon yeah. as you know these two men are in the house yeah. and are not, you know, slapping each other on the back and making note of the yeah. fact that they know who each other yeah. are. It's like, oh, they've they, they're they're so they're they got yeah. something planned. <laughs> well, this, this news intrigues Jaffrey, who becomes determined to take possession of Seven Gables and find the document himself. On the side, the slide Jaffrey has also duped the local deacon, uh, played played by Miles Mander, who mm-hmm. is an actor yeah. I truly love. Yeah,
1: yeah, I do too. Uh, uh,
0: he's, he's 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 duped the local deacon, who's the treasure treasurer for the local anti-slave society, into investing the five thousand dollars of the society's that of the the society has mm. uh, has raised to uh, work against slavery. He's convinced him to invest this money in a uh, what turns out to be an illegal venture, mm-hmm. because they he'd be able to make make mm-hmm. more money mm-hmm. and put that money back before it's ever missed. And I think this is great for two reasons. One, mm-hmm. it adds you know it, it adds another element as the uh, as the the third act rolls mm-hmm. into view. Mm-hmm. But it also points out that this is exactly the kind
1: of shit that got them into bankruptcy in the first place. Right. Right. And as if we didn't hate Jeffrey enough, you know, the fact that he's stealing money from, you know, anti-slavery, from an anti-slavery movement. I mean, mean, what a piece of work. (laughs) What a piece of scum.
0: (laughs) But just a quick aside, the the guy who plays the deacon uh, is played by Miles Mander. And Miles Mander is uh, an actor that I truly Mm, love seeing pop mm. up in things. Uh, Recently, uh, my girlfriend and I watched uh, the serial... um, Daredevils of the Red Circle.
1: Oh, that's so much fun!
0: And Miles Mander yeah. uh, gets to play. Hey, he kind of gets to play both the bad guy and yeah. kind of the victim of the good of the bad guy in it. He does, yeah. And he's really, really great. And he I is. think I think he just popped up in a, a Tarzan film we watched a few nights ago oh, yeah. as well. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you're like, or was it? No, it was a Robin Hood movie. Mm-hmm. He popped up in a Robin Hood movie, Bandits of Sherwood Forest. And it's just, ah, yes, Miles Mander. <laughs> Once you spot him, it's like suddenly you're having a Miles Mander's movie fest. and You don't even know it. <laughs> Well, Jaffrey shows up at Seven Gables, unaware that he is being played for a sucker, mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. because ja- because Clifford isn't going crazy. looking no. at this. This is no. all a setup to yeah. get him all to get him mm-hmm. back in the house to pull mm-hmm. some shit on him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, this revival of the land Grant rumor has been cooked up by Clifford and Matthew. Clifford will allow Jaffrey to search the house only if he, mm-hmm. that is Jaffrey, signs a paper exonerating Clifford. Mm-hmm because that will allow him to have his damn civil rights back Mm -hmm. and be cleared of the charges and have the chance to marry and own property Mm -hmm. and all the things that go along with it again. Well, the deacon arrives on the scene frantic. The abolitionists he has cheated are right at his heels, and he's demanding from Jaffrey, I need that money right now. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to hand these people their money because they are about to use it, and it's gone because Mm -hmm. I gave it to you when Jaffrey coldly turns him away the deacon goes into the next room and shoots himself in the head Uh, realizing that Clifford is in a perfect position to frame him (laughs) yes he is yes Jaffrey becomes understandably apologetic and uh, epileptic I should say Uh, he signs the confession but then suffers one of the hereditary pension attacks collapsing and dying Mm. before witnesses luckily before witnesses (laughs) yes Clifford is now cleared, and the curse is at an end. Clifford and Hephzibah, as well as Matthew and Phoebe, are joined in a double wedding. So we have the nice happy ending yeah. yes, here at do. the end yes, of the film. Now,
1: but we, we have to say, as viewers, you know, if you have a heart at all, you're happy for the characters, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So you're, yeah.
0: And I think it is neat. Uh, at, at first, I was I, I wasn't sure how to take this, but as we have the final scene post wedding. We have the two couples getting into a carriage,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, the, the the family lawyer who's there and is expressing how happy yeah. he is right. that they're still there. The at first I was a little taken aback. I didn't think they needed to do this, but they for a moment they superimpose the the younger versions of of uh, Vincent Price and Margaret Lindsay mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. themselves there in the mm-hmm. carriage,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then we're back to the the mm-hmm. middle aged versions mm-hmm. of them. And at first I thought that was that
1: was too much nail on the head or yeah, like that little too, a, a
0: little too much. But then at the same time, it's that last visual image mm. that the director could put in the film mm-hmm. that shows you that twinning, that shows mm. you the, the two sides where mm. it's, it's 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 not good and bad, it's the it's the, 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 the youth uh, the youth and vigor versus the, yeah. the the aged and wisdom because these people have been through so much and what has changed is not just their physical appearance but their ability to mm. face life in a way mm. that will be more lo- will be more resilient in a mm. lot of ways mm. than that youth and vigor might be able to carry them because mm. yes if they'd gone off in their youth who knows what might have happened to them and mm-hmm. it might have been even more impressive but having gone through all the shit yeah. that they've gone through now mm-hmm. chances are good that these there's nothing really that can yeah. that can <laughs> can can destroy their lives from here on out. Yeah. They've they've kind of been pre disastered. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, and there's certainly no question about I mean, they've more than proved their, their love or devotion to each other by what they yeah. both suffered through just to get back to each other. So Exactly. But I can see what you're saying. I mean that is a tricky thing there too. It was not necessary I like I think the lawyer's last line of saying, you know, saying I'll always see you this way and yeah. I'll always see you as always, always is his way of saying that. I can see that you were always meant to be together and and, and you're just Trying to say, like, don't worry about the lost years. You're still just as great together as you would have been then, you know. And right. that, that line helped to sell that visual thing a little bit there, you And know?
0: without that line, it wouldn't have, wouldn't have yeah. worked. Yeah. But it is, the, it is one of the points in the movie where I can see someone criticizing the story as being kind of overly sentimental, mm. where there's almost... To find a point, put on mm-hmm. wrapping a bow up, you know, wrapping mm-hmm. the story up in a bow, wrapping mm-hmm. things up in a very nice, happy ending. And um, I don't really see it that way just because of the, the, the kind of heinous nature of all the things that they've had to go through. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it is, I mean, it is a happy ending. There's no mm-hmm. way around it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's almost like, you know, having people, you know, survive a war. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> What what hellishness did these people have to go through to get to this point? I mean,
2: yeah.
0: you know, we have a character who did absolutely nothing wrong spend twenty years in prison for nothing. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know what you want to see is the bad guy, you know, you know, beaten slowly to death with
2: with a, with a, with
0: a baseball bat.
2: Yeah, and
0: he does die, but it's. Once again, it's kind of it's kind of Deus
1: ex machina. Oh, kind right? of you think? Oh, well, okay, well okay. Okay. So it's, just, so it's not well, kind of well, Deus ex uh, well, it's gonna, totally
0: Deus ex yeah, machina. Yeah.
1: Well, right? well, it's it's. I realized, you know, especially the second time I'm viewing it. Of course, obviously, it's incredibly convenient that the guy who's going to accuse, you know, reveal yeah. what Jaffrey's been up to, runs in and does it right in, right front, in front of everybody, you know.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And it's interesting that he does it because really. As clever as Clifford and Matthew's plot was, we're sort of it's sort of seeing up until that moment that it's not going to work because Jeffrey yeah, it's looking like Jaffrey's going to weasel his way out because it's looking like he's actually willing to not, you know, to give up the house and still yeah. lose it rather than exonerate Clifford. You know, yeah. it just shows how much he hates Clifford.
0: Or I think that more to, more to the point, the 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 ramifications of going back on his word mm. about that. Could be pretty steep, mm-hmm. because at this point, he at this point in the story, we left out the fact that this in the in the ensuing twenty years, Jaffrey's become a judge.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. because oh, so, sure, he's an incredibly so, powerful yeah. person. Yeah, he's. A,
0: and so at this point, if he were to, if he were to sign that paper. Mm-hmm that makes public the fact that he misrepresented the facts in a court case. Yeah. He's done.
1: Yeah. And he's, and as we've been reminded, as he's reminded us throughout the film, the family name and the social standing is, is everything. Yeah. You know, he's very happy with that position there. So he might be willing to lose whatever else he could get from the house in order to keep his position, you know, and, and now you're right, not confess to that. Now I I want to get your input on this and, and also people listening out there who've watched this film, I'd like to know what people think on the, The one, what you could say, possibly supernatural, not necessarily overly supernatural, but possibly supernatural aspect of the whole film is this death of Jaffrey. Because the way... I mean, you know, in a way, we've kind of been expecting something to come back around from the curse you've heard there. Right, right. But a film that's really downplayed all the supernatural elements up to this point. Jaffrey's death is he... When he starts kind of going off the rails there at the end when he realizes he's about to be caught, as he's dying, he's looking... A way he's looking beyond Clifford and and Hepzibah and the other people in the room at something it looks like he's warding off something that's coming at him before he yeah. starts choking which i've wondered if i sort of felt like it where it's maybe hinting that he's seeing something that they're not seeing he's seeing actually seeing some manifestation of of something coming at him and they don't they don't overdo it to the point where you can read it either way. But just the way he's not really looking directly at them, the way he's looking at something just yeah. before he dies, he looks at something beyond them, almost made me think they're trying to say that he's actually seeing something. I, we're, we would have assumed Matthew Maul. He's seeing yeah. Matthew Maul coming at him or something at, You know, well, That's, what's that's
0: interesting. That's not how I read that scene. And okay. it's, it's interesting that you, that you took that from it, mm-hmm. and I can easily see it. As soon as you explained mm-hmm. what you were talking about, I could see what you were talking about. But at the same time, mm-hmm. what I took from that is... It almost seemed to me. It, let's be honest. Jeffrey was, for all the world as being the prick that he was, he was the most credulous of the family.
1: Yeah, it's true. He one, believed in. Yeah, it's true.
0: He was the one willing to believe those mm-hmm. bedtime stories yeah. that you know yeah. that their nurse told them mm-hmm. when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And Clifford, you know, makes fun of him for mm-hmm. believing that crap. Mm-hmm. You really think? You honestly believe that stuff? Mm-hmm. Come on. That's mm-hmm. he's he's. He thinks it's completely ridiculous, and yet Jaffrey
3: does mm.
0: believe it to the mm. point where he's willing to hold on to that as a possibility.
1: So, what you're saying is the power of suggestion is what killed him.
0: Yeah, right that's yeah. what I've always felt. Is now that I can see that he he it was mm. it was always he was he was the one who was willing to buy into those bullshit stories mm. to the degree that he held on to it well past the point where he was, you know, uh, he, he was obviously an intelligent man, mm. but that. Aspect of his character that I won't call it gullibility, that just Mm. will that desire to be, that desire to live in a world where things of that type can actually be true.
2: Yeah,
0: uh, I think made him susceptible to a lot of different things. And what I I'm trying to remember, I thought one of the things that you're right, as he's kind Mm. of like look, he seems to really be looking past the people in the room.
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And there's a part of me that wondered, I couldn't remember is there is there a painting of one of their ancestors on the wall behind them?
1: boy that's a good question yeah cuz i hadn't thought about yeah that's a good question you know that's uh
0: and and it, you know who who knows what goes through the the, the mind of of a dying man but mm-hmm. anyone that incredulous mm-hmm. uh, is you know uh, to my mind, is he is he like praying? Is he yeah. praying? Is he begging? Is he
1: what is he doing? Yeah. Possibly, when they first filmed the scene, they might have had it in mind that they might cut cut to a shot of what he was looking at and have it be like yeah. a painting or something, and then it just and the editing and the final decisions they decided not to. But
0: well, it, the scene works wonderfully. Oh, it does. Yeah. And Sanders has, as we've talked about before, Sanders does an excellent job. Mm-hmm. But the 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 um, that's interesting. I had not um, I had not leapt to that particular idea. While I was watching the film, mm-hmm. but it's a valid read of the things that are happening in front of us. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. makes
1: perfect sense. And if nothing else, that maybe they purposely, you know, want to leave it to to those possible yeah, readings yeah. of reading it either way you want to. You know, is was there something actual supernatural there, or, or or was it all in his mind? You know.
0: Okay. Well, that, that brings me to one of the questions that I wanted to ask you about the story and about the film specifically about the way mm-hmm. the, the story told by the film, not yeah. not Hawthorne's novel, right? But. This is a movie that does seem to be without, really seem to be without a supernatural element. Right. There is nothing within it, mm-hmm. um, the that uh, points toward ghostly emanate. You know, mm-hmm. ghostly emanations. And, um, <laughs> no poltergeist, No knocking right. in the right. night. Nothing of that nature. As a matter of fact, the only uh, the only odd things that go on all all do seem to be trapped within Jaffrey's mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are all things that. Uh, are easily brushed aside, not just by the characters, but by us as the viewers. It only it seems the only one who's fully buying into this stuff really is Jaffrey.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean Epsiba lives in that house alone for twenty yeah, years right. and Never, yeah. that you know that certainly is not something that's seeped into her consciousness. She doesn't mm-hmm. have any of those fears or have mm-hmm. any of those particular uh, phobias or or mm-hmm. concerns. So I think it would be different and it might even be a little bit more interesting if Hepzibah, this would make it a longer film, yeah. <laughs> but if, but if Hepzibah had some had some moments of doubt, those years of being alone in that house,
2: mm-hmm.
0: had some moments of doubt, some, um, some questions, um. Sounds that she wasn't sure of, movements of things in the house that she was sure that you know, that she, yeah. I'm sh- I was sure this was in that room or yeah. whatever. Yeah. But since that the the movies it, it, it leaves all of those types of things out of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What you're left with is just a straight ahead. Um, I don't know if you have you ever read any? Um, <laughs> they were an entire genre. They were uh, they were known as kind of gothic romance novels, and essentially they almost always. Uh, involve the le- the main character, who's a young female, yeah, who's who for for various and sundry reasons, dependent dependent on uh, whatever the writer's whims might be, is now having to move into a very large house with some very distant relatives, yeah, and is feeling very uncomfortable and is not sure how this is going to go, and she's really concerned and.
1: You know the whole basis for Dark Shadows. What Dark
0: Shadows was Precisely. basically a riff on. I mean, was the uh, ex- exactly was, yeah. well that's mm-hmm. the, the, that that whole thing is a riff on mm-hmm. an entire genre of mm-hmm. novels that were very popular in mm-hmm. the uh, the forties, fifties, and sixties. I mean, I think it even stretches back to the mm-hmm. to the uh, the turn of the century and possibly mm-hmm. even the late eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. But the idea being that you have. Uh, a partial fish out of water story. It's always a female lead. It's always a female mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. And it's all, and of course the upshot of it is always that whatever hellish bullshit she goes through, whether there's some supernatural edge to it or not, it all, it, you know, it ends with a happy ending a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Just like this film. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, this is very, you know, this is very much in that vein. Mm-hmm. Now, I, because I'm insane, have sought out a number of those types of novels, because you can find them cheaply oh, sure. yeah, in, yeah. in used paperback stores. Mm-hmm. And I've read a few of them just, just to get a sense of what they're like. And there's a general sameness to them that's that's kind of neat. Uh, by the way, most of them seem to have been written by men, but using female pen names.
2: Uh, <laughs>
0: And they all do follow this pattern. The, not the pattern of the Hawthorne novel, but the pattern of this film. Mm, okay? Yeah. They seem very, very... I mean, even as they get jumbled around, because yeah. what we have is the, the young woman who comes to live in the house... That happens halfway through this movie,
1: right? Mm. All right. Yeah. She would normally be the main. She would normally character be the main character, and, right? Right. Yeah, yeah.
0: And so all the, the entire story would be told from her eyes. In oh, other words, right, the movie right. would start with Nan yeah. Gray's character of Phoebe
1: arriving at this arriving
0: yeah. at the house, mm-hmm. and then learning all of this backstory
1: mm-hmm.
0: one way or another. But of course, if you do that, then you don't have a juicy role for Vincent Price, and you don't mm-hmm. have. In other words, you don't have the, the first third of the movie. Yeah has to be told in flashback or be told just verbally. Mm -hmm. What I think is weird is that I think, and I'm not knowledgeable enough about the whole genre to know this for sure, but I think that there's a whole subset of those types of novels that are essentially doing nothing but rewriting this 1940 film.
1: I <laughs> think you're right. Uh, and kind of like
0: jumbling point. details around. Yeah. It. Now, I could mm-hmm. be completely wrong about the the, the starting point, mm-hmm. what the, the real genesis of mm-hmm. this kind of plot line or story in general. Mm-hmm. I, I could be I could be completely wrong. I'm not sure, but I do think it's interesting that that mm-hmm. is. I mean, all the elements are yeah. in this film,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but in different or in a different order with a mm-hmm. different main character. Yeah, and I've not seen one of those novels where the main character is the older character.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: She starts out as the young character,
2: mm-hmm. but
0: it doesn't really fit. We still have that 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 we still have that character who who gets dropped into all of That's this right. midway yeah. through. That's yeah. Phoebe,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but then honestly, she's the character who kind of. Doesn't, I mean she kind of gets short shrifted she doesn't get a whole lot of yeah. of screen time not that the character you know mm-hmm. needs a lot of it yeah. but you could see how that character could have been expanded especially mm-hmm. considering that we're we're supposed to um pay a little bit of attention and have a little bit of concern for the romance that develops between her mm-hmm. and Matthew mm-hmm. but that you know that again we're talking about a, a longer film yeah, <laughs> again, yeah we're talking sure. about something yeah her character
1: be, probably you know, gets the the shortest shrift of, of, of everything she's you know she kind of doesn't do much else than be Sweet and, and kind of guileless, you know. You know as far as but but, but likable character. I mean, not not a you yeah. know. I mean, but still, but but she compared to what the others get to do or the depth they have, and you know, she's probably the one that has the, I guess, least of de- arc or development of the character.
0: Well, so the the question that I meant to ask you, and then I talked myself, into, <laughs> I talked myself into a curlicue, uh-huh. um, The the real question that I wanted to ask was, do you think this film, or do you think this story, in the film? Would be more interesting if there were a definite supernatural element, whether or not the other characters were aware of the super, supernatural element or not, because that would be an interesting take, I think.
1: Yeah, it would. And that's just my natural. That's the way I'm wired. It would be to say yes, because I'm i I'm, there. You know, I'm, I'm always I'm always a sucker for the supernatural. You know, I mean, i yeah. I'd. I'd, I'd trying to step back from it, I don't know that it would, Im- would necessarily improve the film in general, because I think the film is very fine for the story it's trying to tell. Yeah, um, So that would just be an added icing on the cake for me, you know, is anything of that nature is something I always enjoy, you know, just because I love ghost stories, you know, I love, I love supernatural elements. So, um, so I think at the same time, I like the ambiguity of the ending that you could read it either way. But I would not have minded a little more and when I say a little more just I mean I mean really little you know, I wouldn't have minded just sort of a little extra layer of of, of, of a kind of ghostly presence going on there. Um, but but yeah, so just as a personal it probably would have made them it would have enhanced the movie, but it didn't really need it for me because I enjoyed the movie very much as it was. How about you? What are your thing, thoughts? See, I,
0: I, I kinda went back and forth about it because mm-hmm. um like I said, I didn't see the the thing you described earlier mm-hmm. when we have jaffrey dying yeah. that did not pop into my head then mm-hmm. but i did think just because of the really fantastic set i mean yeah. let's yeah let's let's give you know full form and credit to to the oh, to yeah, the sure. excellent uh, uh set builders for, mm-hmm. for universal uh that that all of the sets look fantastic i mean the the outdoor stuff is uh is you know easily redressed stuff, but this set that's built for this, which got reused in other movies later on, mm-hmm. uh, this is a great interior set.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I is. do
0: think it's funny that apparently uh, when they had cast Robert Cummings uh, to play the role that Vincent Price eventually played, um, uh, the 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 rumor I don't know how much validity to mm. to ascribe to this particular statement apparently they had to slightly rebuild the sets because both both Price and are so over six
1: feet tall <laughs> I had heard that and yes. so
0: yeah yeah so if that's true that's kind of funny
1: it is funny you know but I think I, yes I had rather do that.
0: so that's kind of cool but the uh um, the, the very beautiful gothic look even the mm. even the the wonderful detail of mm. you know as they do the the, the time lapse stuff as you see you know the shutters start to deteriorate and fall mm. off the house mm. and things like that um, I, just, I I love the look of the film I love
2: mm. of course you mm. and I
0: have talked about this before there's just something beautiful and 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 um, kind of all enveloping. When you tell this kind of story in black in black and white, oh, yeah, yeah.
2: there's
0: a there's an element that, uh, that allows there's an element of black and white photography, black and white cinema mm-hmm. that allows me to just sink into those stories and it almost it almost uh, passes over the threshold of my willing suspension of disbelief much faster. I just automatically mm-hmm. sink yeah. into mm-hmm. uh, the the joys of those kind of th- those particular kinds of films. Um, I, I, I dearly love it and it's mm. very it's very easy for me to enjoy those kind of things I know that's not true of a lot of people and it's so mm. much so much sadder for them in my yeah, opinion Yeah. but I do really enjoy well first of all like gothic type tales anyway even yeah. when there isn't a supernatural right. element in them yeah. I love yeah. I love uh, the, the the setting
1: yeah uh, but uh, yeah me too. me too I don't absolutely. necessarily
0: need the supernatural element
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it's it's honestly it's kind of interesting i there, there's a th- my initial reaction i'll be honest was yeah. well of course there's no supernatural <laughs> element it's you know it's it's a nathaniel hawthorne novel and then i thought to myself well that's not necessarily true
1: <laughs> no because he wrote some things that yeah that uh that a yeah. little more of our And while not uh, if it's okay i'll just use that as a segue into something i wanted to talk about here okay. now, because i think it's a perfect setup uh speaking of nathaniel hawthorne and and the more supernatural elements uh I want to thank uh, our friend Dr. Gangreen for the great, uh, you know, the, the film series he does on the films of Vincent Price. The YouTube series. He's, he's completed done. it. Yeah. Yeah. I went back and just just you know, as I was doing a research for this film, I went back and just watched his his short little uh, YouTube film on this film. And and for watching that, it reminded me. He reminded me by mentioning in the film that uh, that Vincent Price had actually done this story twice because it's one of these segments of Twice Twice Old Old Tales, Tales, which yeah. I had not watched in years. And I remember it as being in Nathaniel Hawthorne stories, but I had totally forgotten. You know that 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 was one of the stories they told, and um,
0: it's a very different version of the story. They
1: oh, that's what I was yeah. Yeah, I was going to say. It was because I. I um, you know being a modern man i didn't have time to read the whole novel but i did have time to watch a 30 minute segment uh, based on the film so but i was just curious to see if, you know my first thought was like well obviously Vincent Price here is going to be playing the George Sanders role he's not but he is playing the heavy he is playing the the yeah. he is playing the the bad guy in the in the story well uh, this is
0: this is the late, this is the mid 60s so right now, of course. and
1: he's he's not playing Jeffrey Pinchon uh, he's going by a different name but he is the he is the family member returning to the house with his wife, actually, um, and his sister, who is not named Hephzibah, I don't believe. I'll go with the color, but it's not Hephzibah. His sister has lived in the house all these years. He's come back to the house to find the, the treasure there, you know, to yeah. find the... Okay, so at the time this was made, it probably won't surprise you to know that, you know, it has about as much to do with Hawthorne as the Poe films about Roger Corman it had to do with Poe, <laughs> but it's very, yeah. much a, it's very much trying to be a Corman you know Poe film even though Corman doesn't do the film that's what it was obviously made because of and so the story is is, talk about taking the supernatural elements and and bringing them to the forefront in the novel I don't even I don't think this is even mentioned in the movie at all but in the the novel there's this continual mention of this supposed ghost that haunts the house named Alice oh okay Uh, never really and and I think again I haven't read the second half of the novel but in just reading a synopsis of the novel I think that throughout the story they mention her more and and one of the characters and maybe Clifford or maybe the, maybe Hargrove or, you know, the Matthew Maul's descendant character, the Dick Fran character in the novel. I believe it's him, actually, that supposedly in the novel tells stories to Phoebe about the legends of Alice, the ghost that haunts the house. And, you know, so what they did, the filmmakers for twice Toad Tales took that element of the novel and really made it the centerpiece of the short segment, you know, of of, of twice Toad Tales. They So they yeah. make it pretty much the ghost of Alice, which it's a classic reincarnation thing like they love to do, the... the Fitzgerald Price wife wife, uh, her character is is a reincarnation of the ghost Alice, and that's really what the story is about. So yeah, not much like the novel at all. But it was fun to just see how they had taken that one little kind of very, very, very minor point from the novel and, and saw it and said, "Oh, we let's can make a co like we can make a Carmen like film." Up, yeah. and make yeah. And I, I for people who haven't seen Twice Stone Tales, I, I won't spoil it, but let's just say that it is it is very poe esque, Corman esque, you know, Corman esque kind of kind of yeah. way the story unfolds, the way it ends. So, so when you see it, you know, what I'm talking about just like, oh yeah, this is what they were trying to do there. <laughs> so. but,
0: but also, if you haven't seen Twice Told Tales and are expecting something along the the cinematic lines of the Corman Poe films, allow me oh, to no. allow me it's, to reel in your expectations it, considerably. It, it, yes, because it, was, it was on a it's budget. A, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a cheap jack pr- production. Mm-hmm. They tell three different stories. It's an anthology film, and uh it, It's it's obvious they didn't have a whole lot of money, and uh, those the, the beautiful one of the things I dearly love about all of the Corman Poe films is the cinematography oh, yeah, of those movies. Yeah, and uh, twice told tales. My memory of it, I haven't rewatched it in several mm-hmm. years, but it's just an incredibly flatly lit thing.
1: Yeah, it doesn't have any. It doesn't pop off the screen like yeah. the Corman film. It's I enjoyed the film. It was neat to watch because of the stories they chose to do. And as you said about Hawthorne, you don't think of Hawthorne as necessarily associated with the supernatural. But the yeah. other two stories they do, which is Rappuccini's daughter, and I can't think of what the name is the first one they do, the one's got Sebastian Cabot in it. But those stories also, if you don't want to say they're necessarily, they're not necessarily supernatural, but they definitely have elements of the fantastic in both yeah. of them. Uh, Rapatini's daughter is almost almost science fiction, really, in a way, you know. So it's um, those are kind of, uh, I think, examples a little bit more of that side of of Hawthorne. But it was fun to go back and just watch the film again because I hadn't seen it in years, and it was just fun to see the how to- you know uh, how totally non not the House of Seven Gables that, that story is.
0: <laughs> well, um, this is a film uh, that I that I really really like. Me too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not one. I, like I say, I I'm on, I'm a little on the fence about whether or not. Um, to, to recommend this to people who are big Universal horror fans, yeah, right. Because it's, I don't know that it necessarily fits. Much like Black Friday, I'm not. I mean, even though it, even though Black Friday has Karloff and Legosi, mm. it, it, it's 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 not going to be the, as pleasing as mm. some of the other films that Universal oh, that, yeah. that would be considered a Universal horror film. And I think this kind of fits that same bill where you're like, it's. Of a piece with those movies, it's mm-hmm. very, it's very, uh, very much something that if you enjoy those, you might enjoy this. Mm-hmm. But I have the feeling that it's um, the the period setting, the 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 gothic tone, the type of story it is, and the way in which it is told might not necessarily really connect with a lot of people who are looking for something along the lines of. Of Son of Frankenstein or Son of Dracula, oh, yeah, yeah. Son, you know Wolfman, one of those movies that mm-hmm. are that were also produced in the in the few years around this time, mm-hmm. and so I, I think it's a it's a good film, but I think it's one that I would more readily recommend mm-hmm. to either someone who is a big Vincent Price fan, and therefore they would have that kind of a hook yeah. that, would, that yeah. would bring them in, someone who is actually more of just a fan of. Cinema from the 1940s. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Uh, I think that they, you know, or maybe they're f- fans of uh, literary edit- literary adaptations. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, because that, that's that's something where you can really kind of sink your teeth into it. But mm-hmm. for Universal Horror fans, I think um, there's a s- <sighs> boy. I don't want to come off sounding as as mean spirited as I was about to, but there's a there's a certain close minded nature to a large subset of Universal Universal Horror fans and horror fans in general where something that's uh of this type mm-hmm. won't necessarily be pleasing to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be insulting I'm just trying to kind of give uh, mm. you know fair judgment to people who are kind of standing and staring at this and wondering if it's something they want to pluck off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's something that I think is a is is a, is a good film. As a matter mm. of fact, I would give mm. it somewhere between a seven and an eight out of ten. Mm. I think, yeah, I think it's eight's about good. where I got fell yeah. on it
1: fell with it. Yeah. It's
0: it's 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 a it's a good film, but I don't know that it's the kind of thing that will appeal to most Universal horror fans. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, I'd love to be proven wrong on that. Yeah. yeah. But I, that's just the sense that I get from it. Yeah. Uh, something I like <laughs> this this is a phrase that I've used a lot. it's something that I really like, but I mm-hmm. don't think you will
1: <laughs> so uh,
0: I, yeah, I, 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 I no
1: know. I see what you are saying no, I agree because yeah if if you're typical and we hate to use that word, but if there is that that kind of commonly somebody going into it thinking they're watching oh a great universal you know it's a great old universal horror film, then yeah, you might be disappointed because it's 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 yeah. you know because there's just not much in the elements of the fantastic or supernatural yeah. in it but um. Want, ain't, want, ain't, want, let's put it this way
0: mm. ain't no monster
1: exactly exactly now now, as we, uh, with all these films we'll see it's just, there is always some fun with fi- seeing some old universal faces in there and we've got a couple here oh, yes. uh, uh, the scene where uh, Jaffrey and, I mean, excuse me where Clifford and uh, and uh, Matthew uh, l- leaked the story intentionally to pull real Jaffrey in they leaked the story to the paper well yeah. we, we're revealed that by these people sitting at a bar and when I'm sitting in the middle reading the paper uh, or announcing to everybody else, you know the headlines there. Yeah. And that guy's Michael Mark, who uh, most Universal people he was in several Universal films, but the, what people mostly remember him by is from uh, the original Frankenstein. He's the father of the drowned girl who carries her through the village yep. there. And then also another character that I always enjoy. Come and on, he's kind of like the guy who's built to basically was built to play a butler. It's Edward Edward Norton Ed, Edgar Edgar. I'm sorry, Edgar Norton who uh he plays he plays Jaffrey's servant, who has a great name, Weed, you know, yes. and I love that. He also played uh Benson in Son of Frankenstein. And he played Poole in Doct- in the nineteen thirty one Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh he was also <laughs> in Dracula's daughter, but uh yes like I said, the man who is eternally condemned to play <laughs> to play a Blutless servant. Uh but it's fun seeing him. Um
0: Come on, my favorite, my favorite.
1: Well, you're going to say Cecil Calloway? No, uh,
0: no, no, I'm going to say Alan Napier.
2: Oh,
1: oh that was my next one. I yeah, was going yeah. to go to Cecil. Yeah, so was, uh, Cecil Calloway, we love him. We talked about how much we love him And in Invisible Man Returns. He's good in this like he's good in everything. His character is a little yeah. bit more, you know, not quite as much as part of the story, but his parts are very important. And he still is just always so much fun when he's on screen, yeah. uh, even as the role of just kind of being the... Clifford's lawyer, um, he still has that kind of twinkle in his eye, especially when he's 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 sticking it to Jaffrey, you know, when he comes yes. in and he knows that he's about to Take Japanese house he's, away yeah, from exactly. him. He's, 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 he's
0: about to. He's about to drop a. He's about to drop a, a, a figurative house on this asshole. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah, Alan Napier. It's uh, once if you want to see how versatile Alan Napier is, just watch these two films we've covered. Oh, I know. Because yeah. he plays the uh, despicable henchman of uh, of the villain in um, in Invisible, Invisible Man, Man Returns. Returns. Here he plays the neighborhood mailman. <laughs> you know, who's
0: just a lovable character. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So it's a uh, uh, really gives you if, you. if you think of him only as uh, Batman's butler, you know, then then you this is more. You learn a lot more about him in these roles well, what,
0: what's funny is that I just watched uh, just last night we sat down and watched uh, the Lex Barker Tarzan film Tarzan's Peril oh yeah uh, and Alan that's Napier right, he is. Alan he's... Napier has a great role in that the that's, first third of that that's, it's that's just it, yeah. another one of those things where it's just like I can watch Alan Napier yeah, do anything he's very good Yeah. yeah he's just a blast
1: I have one more thing to say oh, about sorry, the, about the, one thing I've been kind of wanted to get to here about the, uh, cast and crew here is I do want to kind of spotlight the screenwriter for just a second. Ah, yes. Lester Cole, who wrote he the script, a, he, did,
0: he did an excellent job. He did
1: an excellent job. What he did with the story, it's kind of, when you find out about him, you, you think the elements you kind of notice when you're watching the film the first time around, but you begin to then really pick up, realize how much they stand out the second time around after you've done your research and you find out that Lester Cole ended up being one of the Hollywood 10, uh, um, who were, uh, uh, blacklisted, uh, in the McCarthy yeah. era and, uh, because of his liberal politics. And, um, you, then you go back and you watch the film again and you, and you, you see how much of this is scattered throughout the film, how much of his, his views are, are spoken through his characters and through story elements that are not in the original novel. Um, I know the first time viewing through it kind of stood out to me that uh, I thought it was really interesting that that Matthew Hargrave was uh, um, was working for an, an abolitionist movement. And I thought, well, that's that's a really interesting kind yeah. of thing from out from society in general. Just a, a period touch there. That's that's really that's really neat. Um, but then when you watch it the second time around and you find out you know what Cole did and who he was and 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 then boy, you just see it all through the film. I mean, there's this constant talk about. Injustice and thin veined aristocracy, and taking yeah. up for the working people. I mean that whole scene where Vincent Price, you know, where Clifford goes around to the paintings and talks about what they did, and it's all about how they shafted the working people. And <laughs> so exactly. then you just start to see, wow, okay, you know, yeah, Cole definitely uh, uh, putting his views out there.
0: Yeah, it was well known that that uh, Cole had uh, openly communist mm-hmm. feelings and, and mm-hmm. political views, mm-hmm. and so uh, although that wasn't. Considered any kind of big deal at the time this yeah. film was made. Right. Just a few years later, mm-hmm. when that became a big problem, and you've got the the Huac the Huac uh, uh, committee going through mm-hmm. the House and American uh, Activities Committee. When you've got that whole thing going on, and everyone is being looked at, and a lot of different things are going being gone through with a fine tooth comb, mm-hmm. the fact that that was openly known, as it was for a lot of people, mm-hmm. because that certainly was not something outside the range of
2: mm-hmm. of
0: uh, acceptable political activity right. in the thirties, especially yeah. not during World War II either. Right. Yeah, considering right. <laughs> considering yeah. <laughs> that the the communists were on our side in that particular <laughs> yeah, right.
1: little, exactly
0: particular little battle
1: there, mm-hmm.
0: um, the. Um, Point past which these things got looked at a little a little more closely, there was that eye cast back on a lot of mm-hmm. the scripts that mm-hmm. uh, Cole and, of course, a lot of other writers
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, wrote. And, uh, yeah, those things you're talking about mm-hmm. definitely got brought to the fore and pointed mm-hmm. toward. And it's like, yeah, they work very well within the story, yeah. but they are not in the original novel. No,
1: absolutely not. No, so, no, no. Matthew Hargrave is just strictly a... Um, a what they called a daguerre daguerist I guess is how you say it. But you know, a fil- an early early well, photographer, yeah. uh, and, that,
0: and that's still in the film.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, and that's funny too because they also everybody's kind of talks about that like it's a scandalous profession too. You know, and <laughs> yes. that's, I'm just what is this this what is this alchemy you're doing here with this you know this new you well, know I strange mean, the, the, kind of science? And, and,
0: and, you know. unless I miss my guess, there was still a large number of people who who yep. feared that you know the photograph nope, photographs sure. were, were unnatural, and absolutely, perhaps some kind of magic and. Mm. The the fear that you could take my soul was yeah. you know something that you know silly as it sounds mm-hmm. there were people that believed it
1: yeah. So but what I what I liked about having those elements in this in this film that, that Lester Cole put in there was that before I even knew who he was and why he'd done it, it again they just kind of struck me as sort of neat little uh, bits from the period they're just sort of what kind of giving you a sense of what was going on in the in the world at the time that this this is you know there were like just period details I guess you know that that uh, of some of the thoughts that were occurring in society at the time and they're also nice ways of setting off they really actually in a lot of ways you think about it they actually set off helped to set off Clifford and Matthew even more apart from people like Jaffrey you know because the way that Matthew and Clifford bond it actually helps to make an understanding even more of why they would bond so quickly because not only do they not believe in the family curse but they're also both progressive Thinking men, yeah, and so I think it works perfectly within the story there to to make their characters even more distinctive from from the type of character that Jaffrey is, and so and I, re, I really just like what Clifford, I mean, excuse me, what Lester Cole does with uh, the story structure. I think he came up with a very clever way of, oh, of taking agree. that story and 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 unfolding the events and keeping your interest and yeah. keeping the pace of the film going. You know, so I think it's a very uh, well constructed, uh, well crafted script.
0: I agree. I think it's I think it's a damn it, it's a damn good script. It does have. It does have the problems that we've talked about <laughs> yes, already. Yes, yes, you've got yes, you got hey, the Deus
1: Ex Machina. I accuse you in front of everybody. Yeah, you know, we have time the wrap up the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah there,
0: there are a number. There are a number of uh, incredible <laughs> coincidences that advance the plot a little faster than it probably should have. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Absolutely. There, there's it's it's you know plot contrivance. Thy name is <laughs> Gothic romance. To be honest,
2: <laughs> so a lot of these things
0: I don't worry that much about because of the type of story that's being mm. told. Once I'm in that genre. Yeah. You know, there are a certain number of plot mm-hmm. contrivances that mm-hmm. I'm almost like willing to give the damn thing. It's like, yeah, 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 go yeah. ahead, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We, the jury, are not going to uh, retire because we want to move the story along, so we're just going to accuse you of being guilty right now. Yeah. We
0: but, could very easily do a lap yeah. dissolve and pretend that these people <laughs> yeah. left the room and yeah. then made this decision. But no, 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 fuck it. Send that asshole to prison. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: cool. yeah.
0: All right. Well, uh, hold on, folks. Yeah. We'll, we'll take a bit of a break, and then we'll uh, we'll be right back to let you know what we're doing next time.
3: Spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here, your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies.
0: all right folks before we let you go here we uh we've only gotten one piece of uh email that uh, we should uh, re- we should read out and it's just a simple a simple question from uh, Michael Gonzalez he wanted to know if it's likely that we will do a series of uh, podcasts on the films of Stuart Gordon and I say uh I don't know if we'll definitely do just Stuart Gordon films but I do have the sense that because I've uh, possibly overcommitted to uh, doing a bunch of uh, post Reanimator
2: mm-hmm.
0: HP Lovecraft adaptations. Mm-hmm. I got the feeling Stuart Gordon is going to pop up there pretty hard. You would think, yeah, uh, because well, you know, there's you know, there's a few floating around there mm-hmm. uh, past yeah. Reanimator that we'll talk about. I, I could talk about Reanimator all day long and mm-hmm. from Beyond, but huh, nevertheless, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Definitely, uh, definitely, definite, I love Stuart Gordon's work. Uh, not all of it. I'm not a big fan of.
1: I would, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I do on on the whole. I liked a lot of his stuff, but you're right. I mean, it was you know he, not not certainly not everything that he did. You know, did I like? But yeah, uh, I,
0: I need to rewatch Castle Freak because I remember thinking it was garbage. Um,
1: Castle Freak. Yeah, it's been a long, I mean, years since I watched that. I, I probably I should rewatch it too, just to see. But uh, I
0: sure. I remember thinking it was crap. I think maybe I was maybe I, I was expecting actually, too much yeah. because it was it was it, it, it was a kind of a so so many people involved in Reanimator were back mm. you know, Re- Reanimator and From Beyond and both of them and it was kind of a reuniting of the you know I mean, a lot of Crampton the cast and Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, exactly and I, I don't know
1: well I uh, I, I do recall uh, liking his version of pit in the pendulum uh, it's, it's been been a year since I saw that too but the one with uh, a lot and of I, I do I do remember seeing that I enjoyed that one too so I need to um, I need to watch yeah, that yeah. one again but well hey listen if you ever talk about uh, if you ever talk about the resurrected I want to sit in on that one. So that, uh, is yes is the I,
0: resurrected is absolutely mm-hmm. that's that's the gem mm-hmm. in that whole that oh, whole crown I think that's just an amazing, an amazing mm-hmm. film. And yeah, I think that maybe, um,
1: uh, you know, the person who is trying to put you up to this, who shall remain nameless pun intended, uh, uh, <laughs> uh he's, he's Aww. probably going to force you to slog through it chronologically because he'll want you to have to talk about all those horrible Film, the, the bad ones you know well, like before we, you we, we can get to we don't to have
0: the, to we don't have to leave him nameless <laughs> <laughs> we can name the bastard
1: <laughs> alright All it's Court right. Court court. you're the one who want, wants wants poor Rod to have to do this uh, uh,
0: you know it, honestly there's a part of me that thinks it might be fun because oh, sure it be. I, I so I so desperately don't want to waste my time talking about movies that I thoroughly despise or hate
1: as much but, as our listeners love to put a have just to be in that <laughs> yeah, position there. Know, Love but, to hear us do that.
0: There's yeah, I think there's a great joy in listening to me as <sighs> dude, moan and groan as if someone's inserted a knife in my ribs, but. <sighs> <sighs> It's not, it's not exactly what I want to do, but Stuart Gordon discussion mm. may happen. I'm not mm. sure how quickly, so thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Mm. Uh, but uh, right now, we just want to tell you that uh, the next time Troy and I sit down to do another episode of The Bloody Pit, we'll be continuing the 1940s Universal Horror Series, and the next one up is one that I'm very excited for because it is the start of uh, one of my favorite little uh, undersung and not necessarily uh, very liked series within the universal horror pantheon it is uh, the first of the four mummy movies made in the 1940s by universal studios it is the mummy's hand and for the record we're still in 1940 we haven't made it that that one came out in september i think september 20th 1940 so no yeah we have not gotten to 1941 (laughs) yet and i don't know that we will this calendar year so there so next time, up uh, in a couple of months, Troy and I'll sit down and discuss the Mummy's Hand. Uh, that brings us uh, brings Dick Ferran back to the yes, podcast. Yes, we'll talk a little bit more about him. Uh, this is definitely the movie that I know him from the most, mm-hmm. but it also has a number of uh, returning yeah, returning names. players and mm-hmm. some uh, some people that it's always fun to see. Cecil Calloway has a great role. Yes, he does. <laughs> Cecil Calloway. Park Calloway. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. mispronounced his name. I'm good at that. I mispronounce mm-hmm. names constantly. Mm-hmm. But uh, until then. Oh, We should say, uh, if you want to uh, write the podcast, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think. If you've got any ideas for shows that you would like to see us do, or if you've just got some questions about whatever the hell we talked about this time around or any other previous show, please let us
1: know. Absolutely.
0: Ah, well. So, remember... Join us over on the uh, the Nashie Cast feed uh, very soon for another episode of the bloody well not the bloody pit the beyond
1: saying, beyond
0: Nashy beyond oh man now I'm all confused <laughs> uh, you know the sun's gone down and I'm starting to pass out yeah. <laughs> but it's uh we'll, we'll be doing another Beyond Nashi episode over there we've got an episode coming up that focuses on the uh, well it's probably already out now that I think of it the three uh, three favorite Spanish horror films mm. that do not involve Paul Nashy and then after that. We'll be talking about the film A Candle for the Devil or the, what's the other title?
1: It Happened at Nightmare Inn.
0: It Happened at Nightmare Inn. So uh, settle in for that. Uh, There are other surprises coming. And uh, thank you very much for listening.
1: Yes, as always. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. We'll talk to you next time.